You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. Church, listen, we are in week number three of a message series that'll take us up all the way into December entitled Jesus and the End Times. And we are talking about what teachers call eschatology. This is the study of last things. If you want to catch up on the message series, please go to our YouTube channel, subscribe to that, and uh, get caught up on this series. Today, what I want to do is I want to, I want to go back in some sense just a bit, and I want to start in the Old Testament, and I want to specifically to look at the nation and the people of Israel today. And we have a map of the Middle East, if you would show that right now, and for those of who are online as well, if they could see that. Here is a map of the Middle East, and I have an arrow because it's so small, of the nation of Israel, just this tiny little sliver of land. Israel is about the size of New Jersey, and currently right now there are approximately 6.8 million Jews living there, about 2 million or so Arabs as well. And I want you to know, I wanted to show you this specific map to just kind of show you in relation to the rest of the countries that surround Israel, how small she really is, okay? And when we ask this question, what is the big deal about Israel? We also have to bring up the fact that Jerusalem as a city itself has been besieged 23 times. And, and it's been captured and recaptured more than any other city on the planet. Again, we have to ask, why? Why this particular piece of land? Why this city? Why is Israel like, why is it important? Is, is it really important after all? Well, let me, for starters, just kind of begin to answer that question. For starters, right, the, the Jewish people and their lineage have brought us the most important person who has ever walked the planet, and that is Jesus Christ himself, right? Their belief system, which, of course, includes the Old Testament, it includes the Ten Commandments, has shaped Western civilization and culture more so than anything else. In fact, if you are here this morning or you're watching online and you don't subscribe to the faith of um, Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob, let me just tell you that you benefit from those who, who do subscribe to that teaching. Obviously, Jesus himself was, well, he was Jewish, right? He was Jewish, so that's a pretty big reason why we should pay attention to the Jewish state. Now, I want to say this at the same time, though. I want us to recognize this, that there is a very distinct and, and maybe you could even call it peculiar hatred for these people as well, okay? And, and this, is, this idea goes, oh, let me say it like this, that whatever or whoever God loves, Satan hates, now, I get the sentiment, we know the, the verse, God so loved the world, right? We, so we get that. But I, I want to say this, that God has chosen to use Israel, these people, in a very unique and specific way, unlike any other people groups, right, in our, in our world today. So we should take note of that, that there is a spiritual battle being waged right now between the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, 
in the kingdom of darkness, and that, that kingdom is led by Satan himself. There's a great spiritual battle happening right now behind the scenes, okay? Those are just a few reasons why Israel matters. Now, let me also say this. Israel is also a prophetic signpost of the end times. And so some, not all, but some of the things that occur in Israel, listen, with that nation are evidence of prophecy being fulfilled. And so we, we want to pay attention. We kind of want to see what is happening there. Because again, I know some of us are like, this. why, why even bother? Maybe you're here like, I'm just trying to do me, Pastor Marco. I'm just trying to make it through grad school. Like, I'm just trying to raise these kids. I'm just trying to make it through this marriage, okay? Like, why should I care about the Middle East, okay? And I get that sentiment, but literally, Israel acts as a prophetic signpost for the end times for what is to come. Now, let me also say this. I think it's my belief, on top of that, that if we don't, if the church don't give a biblical framework for why Israel is significant, the world will provide a counterfeit narrative that many people will believe and will be offended by. In the meantime, while that's happening, we are missing out on what Jesus is doing on the earth with the people that he made a covenant with. So if the church doesn't give a biblical framework, listen, you're going to hear a different counterfeit narrative. And you may, you may again, you'll, you'll, you'll believe that, and then you'll be offended with the church. You'll be offended with God, and then you'll miss out on what Jesus is actually doing here in our world today. A few weeks ago, I had a message here. On a, it was a Wednesday night called the Israel Conflict, uh, the Return of Jesus, and I go into depth about the war with Hamas and Palestine and why don't we have peace there right now and what are the implications for the future. We, we dive into all of that pretty deeply. And if you haven't seen that, make sure you go on your YouTube channel, uh, click on live and it's under a worship night, but you'll see the, uh, the title of the message there. I think you should watch it so you know what I have to say on that issue. Some of that message will overlap with today's message just so you know, okay? So what are we gonna do today? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to cover three big things, three big things. Number one, here's what we're going to cover. Does God have a plan for literal Israel, literal Israel, or has God washed his hands with those people and said, enough's enough, they're done, I don't care what they do, whatever, right? Does God have a plan for literal Israel? A lot of people believe that he doesn't. Uh, I, I don't believe that. I believe he does. Number two, we're going to talk about what's up with the rise of anti-Semitism. What's up with Jew hatred? And where does this come from? Where does this come from? We're going to find it in Scripture today. And then finally, uh, number three, we're going to talk about um, why should any of this matter to us? And how do we respond? How do we respond with what we hear today. So lots of big things today. It'll be kind of serious, but it'll be good and lots of opportunities for you to clap, for you to engage. It's going to be good. Like, and if you're not sure, I'll give you a head nod, all right? If you're not sure, I'll give you the head nod. Like, do it and do it loud. And if you feel like you want to be a charismatic Pentecostal and say, amen, woo, do it. You have, per you have my permission. No, seriously, you have my permission, okay? All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. You are good, and your mercy endures forever. 
And so, Lord, we just pray that you would just fill our hearts with your spirit today. We pray that you would draw um, just men and women and uh, children to you, God, that you would give us eyes to see, um, Lord, softened hearts, ears to hear, Lord. We know what Paul says is true in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the, the light that is the gospel found in Jesus Christ. So, Father, we, we need you by the power of the Spirit to open blind eyes. Uh, we also pray, Lord, that you would just come and just heal our hearts. I know some of my brothers and sisters are uh, they're broken. They're walking through some difficult things, God, and they need healing in their hearts. Father, there's some marriages that are um, not doing so well. Would you, would you come and heal marriages and families, Lord? Would you come and heal broken bodies, God, uh, sickness and disease, Lord? We want to see people healed at the same time, Lord. We believe that there's joy in your presence. And so, Father, for those of us who have been battling maybe anxiety and depression, come and bring joy to your people, a supernatural joy um, that we just can't get from anywhere else, God. We, we need that today uh, with what we're facing. Um, Lord, again, uh, we just pray that um, you would just draw us near to you and that Jesus would be glorified um, in this house. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, let's get into it. Listen, I don't have time to waste. Does God have a plan for Israel as a nation in the end times? Well, that's a great question. Uh, in our Bibles, it actually starts about 4,000 years ago with a man named Abram. God comes to Abram in the book of Genesis, and he makes Abram several promises. And included in those promises are a piece of land that he said that he would give to him and his descendants. He makes a covenant, this agreement with Abram. I want us to unpack that for a few moments because it gives us an understanding of the people of Israel, the Jewish state as a whole. Let's look at Genesis chapter 12. We're going to go there and listen, if you have an electronic Bible or a real Bible, I would like you to have that uh, out as well. I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles. In fact, I, I, I told the staff this week, we might just buy a bunch of Bibles for all of you who don't have anything in your hands. I want to just see more people with their Bibles open or a, a digital Bible open. And so uh, I just felt like a stirring in the Holy Spirit that more people need to know where stuff is at in their Bible. There's a tremendous amount of biblical illiteracy right now where people just don't know where anything's at in the Bible. And I just felt the Spirit say, you're responsible. And I was like, ooh, ouch. And so uh, I don't want you to be surprised if we have like church Bibles in the next coming months, uh, because I really want to lead our church to having everyone has a word of God. And then eventually we may just say, you know what, the word's up here. Uh -uh, we're not doing that anymore. So you can open up your word, okay? So Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse number one, says this. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, I, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Here's the covenant that God is making with Abram. And you, you see, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. Whoever blesses you, I will bless. That's a good reason to bless Israel, by the way, because God says if you curse Israel, he will curse you. And so in Genesis 15, if you push ahead in your, in your um, electronic Bibles or in your real Bibles, 
We'll go there in just a moment. But in Genesis 15, what we see is we see the details of this covenant. And God says to to Abram, again, his name is going to later be changed to Abraham. He says to to Abram, you're going to have a son. He's going to be your own flesh and blood. And your descendants, Abram, are going to be more numerous than the stars in the sky. And that's a, a beautiful promise. But Abram's trying to figure out how is that going to happen. But I want us to look at the covenant itself in detail in Genesis 15 beginning in verse number eight. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Now, what's about to happen here is very strange, just so you know, because this is ancient Near Eastern culture. And so this is very weird, but you'll, you'll see why here. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Now, I want you to skip over to verse number 17. Verse number 17. When the sun had set... And darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch, which, by the way, I'll talk about this in a moment, that represents there the presence of God, okay, appeared and passed between the pieces, the, the, the dead animals, the carcasses. This is an animal sacrifice, if you haven't figured that out. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites. Kenizzites, Catamanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. All right, so here are some of the details of this covenant. Let's, let's talk about this for a moment. First off, the word covenant is a very strange word to a lot of us today because we just don't use that type of language, do we? Um, the best thing that we can relate to it today is marriage. It's a covenant now, in the ancient Near East, the, a covenant was truly the hybrid of two different things. It was a hybrid between a promise and a legal contract, okay? It was a promise and a legal contract. So, so two people, uh, or even sometimes more, would covenant together. There would be this animal sacrifice, okay? And then they would make this agreement. And then at the same time, they would sign a contract, and they would have clearly defined Blessings and cursings for those who would obey the covenant and those, um, if, you would, if you were to break the terms of the covenant, there would be cursings, okay? So there were blessings and there were cursings. And you obviously, you wanted to receive a blessing and you wanted to, you know, fill your end of the bargain, so to speak, okay? Now, notice in this covenant ceremony, this is really cool, okay? Smoking fire pot, blazing torch. It's representative of the presence of God. The presence of God. God is going through the carcass pieces, okay? And essentially, what does this mean? This is equivalent to God saying, if I break my part, if I do not fulfill my terms of the covenant, let me be like these carcasses. Let me be dead. That's what God is saying, okay? God is agreeing to this, okay? He's agreeing to this. 
Now, I want you to notice this. Here in Genesis, though, only God is passing through the carcasses. Did you notice that you, you don't read Abram goes through them? He doesn't. What does that mean? Well, that means this. That means that this is a one-sided promise on God's part. It's a one-sided promise on God's part. Here's what we read in Scripture. Here's how we know this is definitely one-sided. In Scripture, what we read, especially in the Old Testament, when we read about Israel, the, the Jewish people, we read that they were very unfaithful to God. They were very unfaithful to God. In fact, there is a cycle in, in the Old Testament, okay? Let me show you how that breaks down. There's a cycle in the Old Testament where God's people, the Jewish people, um, they are in rebellion, okay? What's next? God's judgment, and then there's what? Repentance, and then for a little while, they do good. They're like, we love you, we really do. And they're like, no, we don't. We like these idols better. And then they what? Go back to rebellion, God's judgment, repentance. They're doing pretty good. Nope, we're going right back to rebellion. I mean, and it just keeps going over and over and over. I mean, just, just read the, the Old Testament. Like the book of Judges comes to mind. Some of you know this, right? Yeah. So now here's the thing. Israel is consistently unfaithful. But what about God? God is continually what? Faithful. He's continually faithful. Abram doesn't go through the carcasses, but God does. God does. God says, listen, I keep my promises, and if I don't do my end of this thing, well, I'm going to be like those dead pieces laying there on the ground. And we see the cycle continues, but God remains faithful to Israel despite Israel's consistent backsliding and rebellion. This is amazing. So what we discover is this, is that the promise was not dependent on Israel's performance, but it was dependent on what? God's faithfulness. That's awesome. That's amazing. It wasn't based on Israel's performance, and we know what they, well, again, they were unfaithful over and over and over again. Now, Psalm 105, God remembers this covenant. This is a cool psalm. Psalm 105, he remembers this covenant, beginning in verse number 8, says this, he remembers his covenant forever, the promise he made for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree, to Israel as a, what does it say, church? Everlasting covenant, right? Everlasting. That means like a long time, it's like forever. Not a couple months, but forever. To you, he says, I will give the land of Canaan as the, as the portion you will inherit. So God's remembering his covenant here in Psalms, and God's like, this is an everlasting covenant. This is a piece of land that you are going to inherit, okay? Jeremiah 32, the prophet, in verse number 37, Jeremiah says this, and this is the, really the Lord speaking. Notice what it says. He says, I will surely gather them, them is the Jewish people, from all the lands where I banished them in my what? Furious anger and great wrath. What does that mean? God's like, I'm angry because the Jewish people have rebelled. They're stiff-necked. They have not obeyed. I'm furious. So God says, my judgment for you will be, I'm going to scatter you. I'm going to disperse you throughout the whole world. And then, but the tender heart of God, the tender heart of God says this, I will bring them back to this place and let them live in safety. 
They will be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them their singleness of heart in action so that they will always hear me, and that all will go well for them and for their children after them. I will make, here it is again, church, an everlasting covenant with them. I will never, 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 never stop doing good to them, and I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. This is what God says. If you know your history, you know that in AD 70, General Titus and the Romans besieged Jerusalem, completely destroyed the second temple, and the Jewish people were scattered again throughout the world. This is, this is God's judgment on the Jewish nation. But, 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 something miraculous happened. May 14th in 1948, Israel was reestablished as a nation and people began to flood back to the land from all over the world just as the Bible foretold. Clap your hands right here. You see, first service, there was no clapping. And I was like, you ought to clap your hands because that's pretty cool. Like that's kind of a big deal, like for real. Clap your hands. This was prophesied in Isaiah 43, but can I just tell you, this was prophesied many places in the Old Testament, okay? You don't need to be a Bible scholar to figure this out. I use BibleGateway.com sometimes. I love that. You can type in certain phrases, find out where they're used. You can figure things out. Even if that's all you have access to, you can figure things out. And this is prophesied so many places that God would gather the Jews from the four corners of the world and let me just say this uh, to you this morning, church. If the church can be sustained by grace, why can't Israel be sustained by grace? Yeah, amen. That's right. So we see the importance of this covenant, that it's an everlasting covenant, that it's not just for a certain period of time, that it's eternal, like it's everlasting. This is why there's so much outrage right now. People just don't know the biblical narrative so what's up with the Jew hatred right now then? College campuses and all over the world, like London and big cities. It's just, it's, it's, it's crazy, right? The New York Post said this, reported a 214% spike in anti-Semitic crimes. 214%. That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to Revelation chapter 12, Okay. You didn't think we were going to go to Revelation today, but we're going to Revelation, all right? Okay, so take your Bibles, go to Revelation chapter 12, go in your smartphones or whatever. Revelation chapter 12, and we're going to look at the first 12 verses, okay? First 12 verses. And now, Revelation, I don't have time to give, to unpack all the background of Revelation. We'll, we'll do that at a later time, okay? But I will tell you, we'll, we'll unpack these verses of Scripture. Where does anti-Semitism come from? Let's discover this. In Revelation 12, John, the apostle, is the writer. Remember, he was exiled to Patmos, okay? He was the only apostle who was not martyred, but he was exiled. And he writes, and he, was, he receives a revelation of Jesus Christ. And a lot of revelation is very strange because there's a lot of symbolic, uh, you know, things that are brought up. So it can be very difficult to interpret there. In academic circles, there's different ways that you can interpret it. Again, I won't get into the, the muddy details of all that, but we will unpack these verses Beginning in verse number one, 
A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon, uh, <clears throat> with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was then, uh, her, and her child was snatched up to God and to His throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care for. Notice this number: one thousand two hundred and sixty days, which is three and a half months, which is a, cor- a connection to Daniel. You might, some of you recognize this, right? You recognize, oh, this is three and a half years. Ah, pieces are coming together. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. I want you to know that right now, that the great king of deception is Satan himself. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumph over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their Testimony, listen to this, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. They weren't afraid of giving their lives to the gospel. That's what it's saying there. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. Well, have a great day, guys. God bless. <laughs> I'm not going to do that to you. Don't worry. <laughs> I'd love to, though. I'd love to. Okay. Okay, so here's what we see. There's a lot going on. I don't have a lot of time, but I'll do my best. The war breaks out in heaven, which is like the least likely place you thought war would break out. This conflict is centered around this woman. And did you know that John writes about this woman, that this woman is clothed. She's described as being clothed with what? Sun, uh, the moon under her feet, and uh, 12 stars. Okay. The question that's being asked throughout history is who is this woman? We, we know that in the book of Revelation, there's highly symbolic language being used here. Who is this woman? Some people say that this woman is... Um, Heidi Baker Eddy, I think she was the founder of Christian Science. Some people say that the woman is the church, but listen, it can't be the church because the church does not give birth to Christ. Christ give, gives birth to the church. Uh, some people from a Catholic background would say that this is Mother Mary. She's giving birth. But, but what we need to do, those, those are all interpretations of who this woman is. Now, the best way for us to figure out who this woman is 
is what we call, again, this grammatical, historical exegesis or interpretation, pulling out the meaning. And we know this. We know that the Bible interprets the Bible, okay? So if you want to interpret Scripture, the best tool you have is the Bible. What we need to do is we need to figure out where is this phrase, sun, moon, and stars, used elsewhere? Where actually, I did a search on Logos, and it's used in many, many places. However, there's only one spot in the Bible where it's used metaphorically. And I think that's the key for us understanding this Bible passage. The only place where it's used metaphorically is Genesis 37. Joseph, anybody remember Joseph? He had the coat of many colors. His brothers hated him. Joseph had some dreams. Remember his dreams? His brothers and his family <laughs> hated him because of his dreams. Well, dream number one, Joseph has a dream, and he's like, hey, I got these, like, you know, we have these sheaves of grain, and yours bowed down to me. And they're like, are you kidding me? Are you saying we're going to worship you? That's crazy. You're crazy, Joseph. Joseph is a bit naive. Like, he's, he's a little bit, like, he's just young. He's just naive. So he's like, I had another dream. And they're like, oh, you kid, here's another dream. Here's the dreamer once again. And what does he say? He says this idea, if you look in Genesis 37, of the sun and the moon and 11 stars worshiping him. Jacob hears the dream, which is his father. Jacob understands and understands that to mean himself, mother, and the other sons who, guess what, are the 12 tribes of Israel who become the Jewish state of Israel. The woman here is not the church. It's not Mary Eddie Baker, okay? It's the Jewish nation. It's the Jewish people. She is giving birth to a male child, and that male child is none other than the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Who's the red dragon? That's easy. It's the devil. What does the red dragon want to do to the baby boy that gets born? He wants to devour him. That's not a surprise. Hello? Now, this is just playing into the fact that from the beginning of time, Satan has always tried to take out God's people and destroy the Messiah. Okay? Now, I'll give you a few examples quickly. Pharaoh in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, okay? That's one example. Another example, of course, is Haman in the book of Esther. He wanted to eradicate the Jewish people, okay? What about the New Testament? Just one quick example. Herod wanted all little boys, two years old and under, to be killed. Because what? Because he was threatened by the Messiah. He wanted to kill the Messiah. Who's behind every single murderous plot? Satan. It has been Satan's desire to destroy the nation of Israel and the Messiah. But here's the good news. Listen, there was one spring morning, one spring day, where Satan thought he had won. And Jesus went to the cross, and he died. And Satan clapped his hands, and hell rejoiced. And three days later, Christ rose from the grave, victorious to defeat hell, death, and the grave, so that Satan has not won, that Jesus, listen, rules over life. He is the, the victorious king conquering death, conquering the evil one. We know who wins because we have the word of God. But many Christians don't know the word of God, so they don't know the end. They don't know the scripture. They don't know the pieces of the puzzles that are coming together right now. The idea is this, is that Satan knew the prophecy in Genesis. You're like, what prophecy? 
There's a prophecy in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the first prophetic utterance of the gospel here where God speaks to the serpent and says that there will be a seed that comes from the woman and he will crush the head of the serpent. God prophesied it. Satan knew it. So Satan says, man, I, I got to do everything I can because if I can take out the nation of Israel, then I'll take out the Messiah. Well, he couldn't do that. So now he's trying to continually take out the Messiah, but he's also still trying to, to take out the Jewish nation at the same time. Here's where anti-Semitism comes into play. Let me give you a premise, and here's the premise. What if God's plan to redeem the world required the existence of a nation and the continuance of that nation? If that were true, which I believe it is, here's the idea. If you can destroy that nation, you will thwart God's plans. There has been a cosmic conflict that has been waged since the beginning of time as a pursuit by Satan to destroy the seed that would crush the head of the serpent. From the beginning of time. From the beginning of time. We know that the land in Israel, has. there's been more wars there. There's been more conflict than any other piece of land. I mean, somebody has to ask the question, like, why is that? You think at some point someone would say, like, why, why is that? Right? Well, this is, this is the answer, Right? As you can tell, Israel and her people have been consistently the center of conflict. Uh, the current war with Hamas is yet another attempt for the eradication of the Jewish state. The only rational explanation of anti-Semitism is this, is the devil is behind it. And he wants to destroy the Jewish people. Why? Because he wants to make God out to be a liar. Because God said that these people would, would persevere. He would preserve them. But if Satan can destroy them now, he makes God out to be a liar and nullifies all of his promises. Now listen, church. I'm being pretty bold this morning. We should denounce all racial prejudice. Amen? Because it's evil. Evil. Yes, clap your hands there. But I would say this. I would say that anti-Semitism is satanic. It comes from the pit of hell. Scripture actually tells us that the Jewish people must receive the Messiah when he returns. The Jewish people must receive the Messiah. But if there's no Jewish state, if there's no Jewish people, if there's no Jerusalem, then the Satan says, well, Jesus, what you going to do now? How are you going to come back to a people that ain't there? Now, if you don't believe me, Jesus said it himself. I'll show you right now. Jesus said this in Matthew 23, 37 through 39. Notice the heart of Jesus here. He says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I've, you know, I hear the cries of Jesus' heart. How often I've longed to gather your children together as the hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Look, he says, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again. Here it is. Until you say, who, who's you? Use the Jewish people. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Yes, that means this. That means that Jerusalem, there has to be Jewish people in Jerusalem, and there has to be a mass conversion. There has to be a, a, a revival in the Jewish state, and that the Jews would actually say, right, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But Satan knows if I can eradicate the Jewish people, well, there's no Jesus will not return. Jesus says, you won't see me again until you say this, which is really, he's quoting Psalm 118, which is a messianic psalm. The promises to Israel remain, church, despite their sins and shortcomings. And yes, yes, they're very, very flawed, absolutely. There's still distinct people on the earth that God has persevered. And listen, we have to recognize that God brought them back to the land we have to recognize that there is a spiritual war being waged. We have to recognize that Satan is behind this. This is pure evil. We pray for Israel. We stand with Israel we, because they're, God's, they're still God's chosen people. In other words, that, that, that's not all been shifted to the church. That's called replacement theology. I, I believe there's a lot of error with replacement theology. In fact, a lot of replacement theology has led to Christians and anti-Semitism. Listen, we, Paul says this in Romans 11. He states that God has not rejected his people, right? We're Gentiles. We've been grafted into the family. We're one family now. God wants our relationship with him to, to what? To provoke the Jewish people to jealousy. That's what he desires, that we would. So that's why we, we, we pray for them. I said this before. Let me say it again. We understand that Israel is not perfect, okay? We understand their policies Certainly not perfect. This is a secular government, okay? We should not worship it. It's a secular government. Their actions will not be perfect. The majority of the people in Israel, they need a savior. They don't know Jesus. We need to pray for their eyes to be open. So listen, we can recognize all of their shortcomings, all of their flaws, the, 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 the times where they've done wrong because they have, obviously, okay? We can recognize all those things and still pray for them. We can pray for the peace of Jerusalem, as Psalm 122 states. Here's the, the, the burning question. What about the Palestinians? Well, yes, pray for them as well. Pray especially for the, the civilians who are trying to flee uh, in Gaza. Pray that they might uh, flee out of harm's way. God does not rejoice in the death of anyone, is what Ezekiel 33 says. Rather, he wants people to turn away from their wickedness and to know him. Okay? Our desire, churches, listen, is this. Our desire is that Muslims, Arabs, and Jewish people alike come to faith in Jesus Christ. I don't pray for Israel because they're perfect. I pray for Israel because God made a covenant with them. We stand with them because God made a covenant. And listen to this. Here's the best part. And if God keeps his gracious promises to Israel, we can trust that God will keep his promises to us, the church. Okay, almost done, almost done. Why should this all matter? If, <laughs> if it's not obvious by now, right? Why should this all matter? Here's why. Because we can know without a shadow of a doubt that God keeps his promises. In other words, church, listen, 
This matters because, listen, the same God who stated that he would not stop doing good to Israel, the same God who, who chased down Israel despite their rebellion and their, their infidelity and their idolatry is the same God, listen, that's chasing you down today. That's why it matters. That's why it matters. The great theologian John Stott, uh, brilliant mind, John Stott wrote a book called Why I Am a Christian. He gave Jesus the title, The Hound of Heaven. And here's what he writes in his book. He says this, why I am a Christian is due ultimately neither to the influence of my parents and teachers, nor to my own personal decision for Christ, but to the hound of heaven. That is, it is due it is due to Jesus Christ himself who pursued me relentlessly even when I was running away from him in order to go, to go my own way. And if it were not for the gracious pursuit of the hound of heaven, I would today be on the scrap heap of a wasted and discarded lives. And I will make the guess that some of you, that's where you're at today. It's Jesus is pursuing you. You need to stop keeping him at bay. Stop rejecting him. You have seen glimpses of his grace. You've seen glimpses of his goodness. Stop with the running. He's chasing you down. He is the hound of heaven. C.S. Lewis called himself the most reluctant convert in all of England. He went kicking and screaming. Why? Because of the hound of heaven was chasing him down. And some of you, you're the same way. You're kicking and screaming and you won't let him. He's chasing you down with his furious love. This doesn't come from C.S. Lewis or even John Stott. It comes from Francis Tom Thompson, who wrote a poem. And the poem was about God's gracious pursuit of us. Jesus himself said this. He said that the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. He's chasing you down. This is good news. This all matters to us because if God doesn't keep his promises to Israel, then what do we have to go on then? God chases his people down, and though they've been stiff-necked, they've been rebellious, I, I understand that. Their policies sometimes are terrible, and the, the government's corrupt, and there's all kinds of things. I, I get that. I get that. Okay? And yet, we could still pray for them. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray that... They might come to know Jesus. Pray for peace there. We need peace in that region. I want to just say a couple more things today. I'm almost done, I promise. How should we respond to those who disagree with us? Because I know this is getting heated. This is, this is getting heated, okay? Let me just say this. 1 Peter 3, 8, 9. I'll just say this. Finally, all of you, be like-minded. Be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate, be humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. So when someone insults you or rejects you because of your prayers for Israel, because this is a stance that you take, which I, be, I believe, I, I don't think we can sit on the fence. I just, I don't, I just, I don't think we can do that. I think, I think we need, I do, I do think we need to have a voice and we need to have a part in this. And not just say, well, yeah, I could go for both of them. No, you know, yes, we don't want anyone to die. I, let's pray for that, obviously. But we should unashamedly bless Israel. Pray for them. But if someone insults you, you don't have to treat them the way they've treated you. You can, you can bless them in return. 
And this is what I want you to do. Finally, I just want you to remind, be reminded you're not responsible for how someone responds to your position, but you are responsible how you respond to them. You can't control what they'll do. That's fine. They say they want to sever the relationship. Okay, I'll miss you. You don't have to do that. You shouldn't do that. I love you. I understand that you're over on this side. I love you. I'm not doing this, but I can't control what you're doing. And whenever you want to reconcile, like I'm here, like we're, we're, we're brothers, we're sisters. We don't need to do this. You can't control them, but you can control how you respond to them. And I think Peter gives us an adequate response of how we do that today. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for this day. Lord, I pray, God, that Jesus, the hound of heaven, would come after some of us today. Some of us who have been stiff-arming them. Some of us who have um, ran and ran and ran away from the love of God found in Jesus. I pray that today many would respond to the hound of heaven with faith and repentance. Faith and repentance. Lord, we pray for Israel, and we stand with them unashamedly, Lord, and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. God, today we pray that the wars would cease, that no more innocent children would die, Lord. No families would die, Lord. We, we pray for peace right now. We pray that the surrounding nations would not encroach upon Israel, but that some way miraculously, God, just as it's foretold in Ezekiel 38 and 39, that there would be a, a time of peace for Israel on all sides, God. We pray that that would come quickly. Lord, we pray for your return, Lord. We pray for your return. And our hearts says, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Come and end the bloodshed. Come and end uh, the wars and the strife and the violence. Come, Lord Jesus. We know that your arrival draws nearer and nearer. And our response to you is yes and amen, is a surrendered heart. The hound of heaven is pursuing us today. And we say yes and amen. Jesus, you can have my all. You can have my, my life belongs to you. So we thank you for that today, God. We thank you for the significance of the word of God and how it's a beautiful uh, tapestry of many pieces that we see fit together. Old Testament, New Testament, God, fitting together perfectly. There's no other piece of literature on the planet that does something so astounding as the Bible does, God. We thank you for your word. We thank you that in your word, you've given us a, a counsel and wisdom and a roadmap of things to come, Lord. And so we surrender our lives to your word, for your word is true, and your promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Let's clap our hands for King Jesus.